This Sunday is the end of the 10-part series, Living in the Midst of God's Grand Story, The Covenant. Um, It's been 10 sermons that each week it's like, wow, to me. And when I selected the passage we're going to look at today from Deuteronomy 29, I did not realize all that that passage would bring up to me. When I was a young pastor, and I was in a church where you preached on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, I preached through 22 complete books of the Bible, and in in this series I preached through Genesis, Exodus, and Deuteronomy. And I'd forgotten how Deuteronomy can grab you, because this is, this is a book that is getting ready in part of what we're looking at. It's getting the people ready, the second generation ready, to cross Jordan. See, they've already taken the, what we think of as the East Bank of Jordan, where two and a half tribes are going to settle. And they're getting ready, remember we talked about the ark well they're going to take the ark out in the middle of the jordan river and the jordan river is going to dry up and all those men women and children and their animals are going to go across on dry land like they went across on dry land through the red sea when i think back to the beginning and how part of what we're going to see in this passage, is God rebooting Genesis 3. We'll talk about that when we get to that part. But we started with God being the creator and creating darkness and water and chaos. To realize that everything that we see and experience is something that God has had his hand in. I think it is hard for people in our time to believe that God created chaos because we love order. We love predictions to know what's going to happen. Now, I want to do something I do occasionally. I'm not sure if I've done it here before. I'm going to start at the end. You know how when you you see a movie and you see this dramatic scene, you see this thing, and then all of a sudden they say six weeks earlier or 24 hours before this, and they're going to tell you how they got there. I was watching something that literally did that through each person that was a major part of the story. They went back and said, okay, here's how they got there. Here's how this person got. Because in verse 29 of chapter 29, and I call this a Genesis reboot, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Remember, you had the tree, don't touch. You had the words, everything else is yours. 
See, when, when we look at this, we are trained to be curious and say, wait a minute, God can't hide things from me. Rather than saying, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. See, God is remaking, renewing his covenant. And you see this, we're going to get there in a second, but you see this going through all of 29, probably two-thirds of the way through chapter 30 is this event. But if anything that you remember from today's sermon, this, this second part, but the things that are revealed, all the things God has told us that are written down belong to us and to our children forever. Do you see the nature of the revealed will of God? That we pass it on. That it's true forever. That we may do, we may live out all the words of this law. That God is telling us how to enjoy the world even though it's fallen. How to live in it. Even though it is broken and evil and they've already fought battles and they're going to fight more battles. And they're going to be warned. But what happens when we don't follow? Now, going back up to the beginning, verse 1. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant he had made with them at Horeb. Now, this is a shift of accommodation. Because when we look at the differences between Horab and Moab, in Horab you have the very voice of God speaking that the people can hear, and they're terrified. Because they realize when they heard his voice, he's real. He's who he says he is. And the word of God was written by the finger of God on the tablets that were then put in the ark. What God gives us in this renewal of the covenant, in making of the covenant, is a mediator. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. He's using the words of Moses. Now, we can go back to chapter 18. We looked at that a few weeks ago when God is saying, I'm going to continue to give you prophets. But here he shows that you can have God speaking through Moses to make this covenant that's going to be written down into what is referred to as the book of the covenant. Remember in the covenant, I mean in the ark, it spoke about the testimony, the the tablets that were there. Now we're looking at a book because it's larger and it's written by a man as opposed to the finger of God. 
but yet it is God who is initiating and ensuring this relationship that it is true. Now, this covenant that God makes, this commitment, this ceremony, it's interesting how when we look and study, we see God doing it in very different ways. Now, in this one, through Moses, notice that there isn't a sacrament, there isn't blood. It is with, and we'll see the size of the group of people. But before he gets into getting down to the specifics, he kind of gives them a history lesson. Verse 2, you've seen all that the Lord God did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, his servants, and to all his land. One sentence, a quick overview of the first parts of Exodus. Verse 4 is a very interesting one because it gets very personal. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Now you hear that. And what I've already read should ring in your ears that they now have the ability to know that what God has revealed they own for themselves and for their children. Something's happening to their heart. He is talking about, you know, sometimes when we think about heart relationships with God, we think New Testament. But we need to see the whole Bible. It has always been about people's hearts. It's always about them understanding what he says. He reminds them in verse 5, I have led you for 40 years in the wilderness. When I think about people's lives today, I think there are a lot of people who identify with that wilderness journey. It's like, when are we going to get there? We're not talking about a car ride. We're not talking about, you know, four or five hours, a couple days. We're talking about 40 years. We're talking about a generation. I led you. That so no matter what you may be going through in your life, in your family life, in your family history, in your work life, and all the things that you could say, To have the comfort to know that you're not alone, that God is with you, that you're going through that for some reason that God will maybe show you later on. Some illness. He says in verse 9, Therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. See, he's getting them ready for the promised land. 
That God who has brought them together says, I want you to be my people and you need to do what Adam and Eve did not do. Adam and Eve didn't listen. Adam and Eve Eve did not obey. They listened to the serpent. And all of humanity was punished for it. But now God says, keep the words. It's interesting to me and very powerful because I have been to Egypt twice and when you, when you go into their buildings, into their temples, into their pyramids, which is kind of, you don't go into a pyramid if you're claustrophobic. Um, he gives you words. Words that you can understand, words that you can memorize and put in your heart. You know, we think about the Psalms, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light to my path. Now, in verse 10 and following, you get something that gives you the scope because here... He's talking about who is supposed to gather. You are standing, verse 10 says, you are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God. Okay, you get that? The God is present. You probably had, the ark has already been created. So you had the Shekinah glory there. That pillar of smoke by day and fire by night to signify the presence of God. The heads of your tribes, your elders, your officers, all the men of Israel. And he keeps going. Your little ones. The ones nursing at the breast. Your wives. And see, here's where God is tickling our ears, reminding us of that great promise in Genesis 12 about the nations. Who's being included in this covenant here? The sojourner who is in your camp. And now look look at this description of economic status. From the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water. You see how he's, he's reaching out to everybody? To everybody who's in the camp? Not just the elders, not just the leaders, not just the men, not just the older, but the, the young, the wives, the sojourner. Because one of the things we see throughout the history of God's people is that people from the outside who are not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, physical DNA descendants, attach themselves to God's people because they see God in their presence. So that's why sometimes in churches, um, and I probably have told this story before, but I'll tell it again. We have some friends who talked about the growth of their church was because a bunch of women got together to pray. But they struggled Because God didn't send them the right people. He sent them their neighbors 
who in our part of Georgia were caught up in the use, production, sale of methamphetamines and their children. So you had grandparents who were raising children because the parents are in prison or rehab or we went to a prayer meeting where they had 23 young people, children in elementary school and high school. They were praying for because that's who God had brought to them and it took them a while to see that God brought these troubled families into our lives. Even though we know nothing about rehab, even though we know nothing about methamphetamines and all the things, you know, the biker gangs and everybody else that's involved, that they're our neighbors and some reason they walk into our church. We've prayed that God would send people. But that's what we weren't, we weren't expecting that. So, so what if, if in today's world God would bring you somebody who draws water or chops wood? The most menial tasks. Can we see Christ in their lives? Can we see them in our church? Verse 12 talks about entering into a sworn covenant. It's kind of upping the ante. This is one of the early times that it talks about that God is swearing to them that he will keep this covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making. See, he's making it with you today. The reason? that he may establish you today as his people. See, you've got to hear the initiation, the ownership of God in this covenant-making process. We haven't earned anything. He is reaching out, that he's establishing it. And then he says that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. And then he pushes forward like Genesis 12. It's not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God and with whoever whom else is not here with us today. Remember Peter's words, Pentecost? The promises to you, your children, to those who are near, to those who are far away. If you look as I, when I printed this out and I was looking at it, I said, that's very interesting because oftentimes I will judge about the amount of text in terms of how important it is, but you have this, what we might think of as this blessing thing, this initiation thing, and then you have this tremendous warning, starting in verse 16, where he warns them about the the evils of the idols of Egypt. And 
verse 19 is something that just should just haunts me and scares me. The one who, when he hears the word of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, even though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Do you see how somebody can deceive themselves in their heart? They know all the words of God. They know all the ceremonies. They know the people. And yet they can say, I shall be safe. Knowing they have a stubborn heart. Now verse 20 If that makes you wonder, look at verse 20 when it says, The Lord will not be willing to forgive him. And then it goes on and it just builds this thing, but that idea of, you know, what sin has this person committed that God's not going to forgive? Now, that, anytime that comes up, I, my mind, jumps to the words of Jesus after when he's teaching us in the, uh, I mean, in the Sermon on the Mount about the Lord's Prayer. He says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. What if, what, here, what if here the issue is that people who have been forgiven are unwilling to forgive someone else because of the stubbornness of their heart? See, that's something that's it's hard to know how to deal with because it, it, stubborn hearts are often very hidden. People grow up with the narrative of their history and with the narrative of peoples. I will tell you part of the narrative that I have had to overcome. When I learned the history of our family that we spent one year, one generation in Ireland, then we left. It was because of the extreme religious persecution by Catholics of Scottish Presbyterians. In the early 1640s, there was a massacre in Ulster of Presbyterians by Catholics. So you grow up and that's your image of Ireland. Because what's on your television set? The Troubles. I don't know what it was like on your television sets, but in mine, it made the Troubles made news. Why? If it bleeds, it leads. That's American journalism. And so the IRA bombs, the... Protestant retaliation. I grew up, that was my image that reinforced the history image. Even though I'd never been to Ireland, now I, you know, growing up in the parts of the United States, I I knew lots of Irish Catholic kids. I knew that Irish Catholic kids were not allowed to date Irish I mean, Irish Catholic kids couldn't date Italians or Polish Catholics. 
They could only date and marry other Irish. They were, from my perspective, a closed community. Now, this is back in the 60s, okay? So I began to realize, and this happened in some ways, because you know know how sometimes your sins hide for a while and they come up? When we were studying Jonah, Ireland became, I understood, that's my Nineveh. And I had to go back and rethink all the stories that I had heard, the way I had been raised to think about Irish, the way American television portrayed them to me in a very formative era. But you can't have a stubborn heart. You need to let go. No matter what has happened, you need to let go. One of the women that taught me, you know, you can't read Cory Tim Boom and come away and saying, she can forgive, why can't I? Now, it's interesting that before this finishes, making the covenant, when you get down to what we call chapter 30, which is a continuation, you have this whole thing about people repenting and coming back to God and God blessing them. So you have people that a generation can be pushed out of the land and then they're brought back because they've turned back. See, I think he's getting people to realize that I'm going to be with you even though I may push you away. I'm going to be with you. But the need to understand that no matter where we are, what sins we have committed, what sins we have hidden in the stubbornness of our hearts, God will forgive us when we confess them. As painful as that might be, as hard as that might be to to give up that pain. We have people in the United States that are still trying to forgive the Civil War. You may know people in your family or your communities that are trying to deal with things that happened in World War I and World War II, Ireland, other things. We cannot have stubborn hearts. Because he comes down in verse 15 of chapter 30. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I have commanded you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to take possession of it. When I started looking at this, I said, you know, I wish I hadn't committed myself to end and start something else. We'll come back to this chunk sometime in my time here. But let me just... Wrap it up. Chapter 30, verse 15. Do you see our response? By loving the Lord your God. 
This covenant-making God that has revealed us, that has given us His words that belong to us and belong to our children. It's like Jesus on the beach to Peter. Do you love me? See, that's part of where we're ending up at the end of this covenant-making ceremony as he says, you love me. And the way you show you love me is by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments, his statutes, his rules, that you may live. And every time you hear that word multiply in a covenant-making thing, I want you to go back all the way to Genesis chapter 1 because what are people supposed to do? They were created to multiply. God is blessing and restoring what we were created to do and to be. The Lord your God will bless you. We're back to Genesis 12. You see how he's weaving it together in this tapestry of what it means to love him? See, he has freed us and brought us into his adoptive covenant as his children To respond to his love, his revelation, by loving him and hearing his voice. See, we don't earn that voice. We don't earn that love by obedience. That is an expression of our love. One pastor calls it affectionate obedience. See, when you're trying to obey because you love, the fear is taken away. I mean, when I read from Romans 5, all those things, that he loved us first, that he died for us. Because he loved us. And he wants these people to know when they get ready to go into the promised land, to walk past the ark. Because that's what he's getting them ready for. He's getting them ready to walk past the most holy presence of God. You can safely walk past it, don't touch, but walk past it into the promised land to multiply. Now, Deuteronomy has all kinds of wonderful passages and places. But it is a text that is getting to get us ready for new things. So I know we're several weeks away from New Year's. Two weeks we'll start a new sermon series on living in the midst of God's grand story, the seed. And we'll look for eight weeks at Christ Jesus' beginnings, his birth, and his eventually ending up in the temple with astounding everybody as a young person. So I'm back to where I started. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed before us, revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do the words of this law. Let us pray. Father, no matter what our lives are like, what we're facing, no matter how chaotic they may seem, 
how unpredictable life may be. We pray that we might know that your presence and your words get us ready for a new thing. Get us ready to walk before you in obedience, not to earn it, but because you loved us first and we love you. And that's why we hear you, so we can walk before you. We pray these things, Jesus, in your most holy name. Amen.